Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Donovan, right hand drive to Brown. Shoves off, stops, pops, hits. Boom. Jazz 101, Boston 97. Bogdanovich gets an open three out of the timeout. I don't know how Boston let that happen. Donovan bursts out of the traffic. They're backpedaling. Donovan's attacking. Leaves behind for Ingles. Right side three. Got it. Man, that was special. Back up top to Donovan. They switch Tatum to him. Now they bring another defender. He fires the three. He had it. Oh, Donovan Mitchell, don't do me like that. Wow. And the Utah Jazz win again, five in a row. 16 of the last 17. They beat the Celtics 122-108. Jazz taking control of the game in the third quarter. Celtics, the trademark NBA run to get within four. Midway through the fourth quarter, about seven minutes to go. And then Joe Ingles hits a three, Mitchell hits a couple threes, and it's over. Mitchell with 36 to lead the way. PK, another day, another dollar, nothing special, nothing to see here. Jazz play, jazz win. What's the story? Can PK not hear me? Or he's stunned into silence by the greatness of the jazz. Jazz led by one at the half. And they just stayed with what they were doing. They weren't shooting the three well. They were shooting like 30% from three. And the Celtics were shooting 50% from three. But Quinn Snyder, we know what we want. We want shots at the rim. We want free throws. And we want threes. Keep shooting them. And sure enough, bigger sample size. Keep launching them. The Jazz three-point percentage comes up. They end up shooting 37.5%. Celtics cooled off a little, but not a lot. But it was just enough. They ended up dropping from 50% down to... 45%. Sure enough, the Jazz pull away. An enormous second half. They scored 74 points in the second half. So, play pretty good defense, and you play outstanding offense. 74 points in half. It's just an enormous number, and it kind of slips away from you in the second half. You know, if you do it in the first half, you just see it on the scoreboard at halftime, and you realize what's going on. But that was a heck of an outburst from the Jazz in the second half. No Mike Conley, no problem. Other guys picked up the scoring. Five guys in double figures. Ingles with a huge night shooting the ball. He ended up with 24. Mitchell, I said, had the 36. thought one of the hidden keys in this, remember this year we were talking about all those Jazz turnovers. Just so many turnovers. And they really limited those. When they go to Rudy, he's open, he's ready. They only had 10 turnovers in the game, and he was 8 of 9. They found space, they got him inside, they got him dunks, didn't throw him the ball around his knees, didn't have those lobs tipped away, all the reads were good. So Rudy has his 18 points and his 12 boards. All right, more on the Jazz and the win coming up. They're 20-5, and which ties the best start to a season in franchise history. Did it in 96-97 when they went to the finals the first time. Winning 80% of their games. They're on pace for 66 wins, all huge numbers. Jazz have a couple days off, too. They were a little tired. See if uh, Conley's healthy enough to go. They got a back-to-back Friday and Saturday. My guess is they won't let him play in a back-to-back right out of the gate. So he'll probably miss one or the other. But see how that plays out. Bucks are here Friday night, 7 o'clock. DJ and PK. 
Hashtag NBA. Alley-oop! Zion! The flush! The feed from Lonzo Ball! They ain't done yet, Todd. Five on the shot clock. Embiid against Buddy Heald. Hangs, shoots, up, remain. God, he got it! Embiid puts the Sixers up by seven with 68 seconds to go. Five seconds to shoot. Dame sizing up the defender, steps back, three-pointer, buries it. 34 for Damian Lillard. I don't think that we go out every single day uh, of our lives and sacrifice the time in order to be average at anything. Uh, and we look very average, you know, and we have the talent that we should be dominating. Uh, you know, we have the experience in terms of some of our guys that have been through certain things, circumstances to be able to battle through. And we're dealing with a lot of the reality that we're putting this together on the fly. There's Kyrie Irving after the Brooklyn Nets drop their third straight game. They lose to the Pistons 122-111. Jeremy Grant leading Detroit with 32 points. Now that he is the featured guy, he's putting up huge numbers. Couldn't do that in uh, in Denver, but man, he's the guy now. And the offense doesn't run through the Joker, and, and Grant's putting up huge numbers. And the Nets, for all the hype and the big three, uh, they have not put it together. That was Kyrie Irving right there talking about it. They are 14-12. and 12. Now they're third in the East, so that sounds good. But they're 14 and 12. They've lost to a lot of teams under 500. And 14 and 12 in the West right now would make them seventh. They're not in the West, so I don't have to worry about it. But that that third is a little bit of a little bit of fool's gold there. Is they're struggling to be consistent. I think the one thing he said there that caught my ear is we're we're putting this together on the fly. You know, and that we, we've seen a lot of teams and they make the big move, it doesn't pay off the first year. The Heat lost in the finals of the first year. Uh, when they had their big three who were planning on winning, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. They actually won two, and they lost to the Mavs that first year they were together. The uh, Lakers, when they acquired Gasol, they lost in the – when they acquired Pau Gasol, they lost in the uh, finals the first year and then won the next two. But I think everybody looks at the Nets and thinks, do you defend well enough? And you play these sub-500 teams, you know, and, and you get up – for the bigger games, and they've got a decent record against some of those better teams, and you get up for it, and maybe you play some better defense, and and you win, but it appears that it is never easy for the Nets. And we'll see if this is going to work, or if they're going to have to move one of the three guys and and get better defensively. Get somebody in the middle who can uh, do for them what, obviously, Rudy Gobert does for the Jazz. Maybe not at that level, but you got to at least have something in there. All right, the other scores, the Sixers have the best record in the East. We keep talking about, you know, who are the contenders? You know, the Lakers defending champs, and they're the favorites, so you got to beat the king to be the king and all that. And the, the Jazz and Clippers are off to great starts. The Sixers are 18-7, and seven, and that is the third best record in basketball behind the Jazz and the Lakers, but it is better than the Clippers. And the Sixers win again. They beat the Kings 119-111 to in the Kings' win streak. So they get that. Embiid went for uh, 25 in that game. The Heat have not had their guys, you know, and, and Jimmy Butler's been out and Dragic has been out, and are they going to get on a roll? Because they are they're in the 10th spot, the new play-in kind of position. Uh, they beat the Knicks, and of course, with you know 14 and 12 being third in the East, the, the Heat are four games below 500. That'll get it together here. Butler went for 26 points and 10 assists. Good to have him back in the lineup, and uh, they beat the Knicks 98-96. Steph Curry who has been lighting it up for Golden State. 32 points in the Warriors. Blow out the Spurs. And the Spurs had a nice little stretch going. They'd won three in a row and six out of seven. But a win for the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors sitting in the eighth spot, 13-12 and 12 in the West. 
Other news, the Dallas Mavericks have stopped playing the national anthem for home games. The direction of owner Mark Cuban, he confirmed to ESPN, the Mavericks do not plan to resume the tradition to play the national anthem before games in the future. Cuban declined to make further comment on the decision. This is Texas. How's that going to go over? Not well would be my guess. They, this is what they've been doing all year, but it just took a few games before people noticed. Now, special rules this year. You can do whatever you want. A lot of teams don't have fans there. Now, it'll be interesting when fans are back if the league orders teams to do it. But right now, everybody's got their gets to do stuff at their own discretion. And Cuban uh, doesn't want to comment and make it a bigger deal. So it'll be a big deal here for 24 hours. If he doesn't say anything, then will it die out? Um, you know, we've already heard a lot of a backlash uh, in the bubble uh, when the NBA had Black Lives Matter on the court. And we saw lots of teams, you know, entire teams, uh, in some cases one or two people didn't take a knee, but we saw mostly a lot of people did. And we heard from fans who said, well, I'm done. Now, are those the exact same fans? Is this going to lead to another wave of people are out? Or the people are out or offended by this, but they're already out, so it doesn't matter? And how's this going to play out? I don't know. We haven't, we haven't seen anyone do anything like this, so... I suspect he'll stick with it for this year. It can't really hurt attendance this year since attendance isn't really a thing. I mean, the Jazz are putting, as near as I can tell, the Jazz are having the biggest crowds of games. There may be a couple teams with a few more people, but the Jazz have bumped it up now. Orlando officially is allowing, the only team that's allowing more currently. They are? Right, okay. What's their number, do you know? 4,000 on the head. Okay, and the Jazz are at 3,902. Yeah, 3,902. Is the number that they've come up with for now. Now, they've already bumped that number up once. And I've heard that they actually have had some some clearance from local health officials to bump it up higher if they want, and they haven't wanted it yet. See how it goes. You know, work with your ushers in the flow and maybe bump it up at some point. So we'll see if they do. But for most of these teams, attendance is an issue right now. Most of the arenas are empty. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I don't have seven Super Bowl rings, but I think I played in an era where football was more of a contact sport. Mm. You're not seeing a lot of that now. You know, players are protected. But, you know, it's kind of hard to say. When when you got seven rings, you know, uh, you're doing something right. So, uh, I think with Brady, uh, you know, he still wants to play. He said something about playing until he's 45. I think he can do it now in this league uh, because players are so much more uh, protected. So, yeah, he can have that GOAT uh, status. I never wanted that status anyhow. Jerry Rice handing the GOAT tag to Tom Brady. I always thought Jerry Rice was the GOAT of wide receivers. I didn't know that we were comparing across the positions like that, PK. Apparently we were. So Brady can have the GOAT tag. He's got it with seven titles, especially now that he's done it with another team. Left the organization and went and won somewhere else. Well, that's like me saying, yeah, Ryan Smith can have more money than me. (laughs) Duh. It's already, the transition's <laughs> already been made, but I'm glad you're cool with it. All right, that's good. Yeah, really? Yeah, okay. Well, he's doing an interview. They ask him something. He's got to give him an answer, so there it is. <laughs> Jerry Rice agrees Tom Brady's a GOAT. I mean, that's better than Brett Favre saying these quarterbacks shouldn't be talking about trades. <laughs> they shouldn't be leveraged their way out of town. Brett, do you remember the end of your career? Or are you just, just blanking out on all of it? You remember that whole... Retire, don't retire game for multiple years and then to the Vikings. And did he yes. leverage his way out, though? Uh, you know, he kind of wore out his welcome. They did yeah. have, they had, so leverage isn't exactly at right. At best, it was mutual. Yeah, but it was, um, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like Brett Favre has any room to talk on that topic. <laughs> it just, 
I, I'd agree it was mutual. You know, at that point, uh, Aaron Rodgers had sat like long Montana. enough and he's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel like Montana was mutual. Montana was pissed he was leading San Francisco. <laughs> like, hey, we were in the NFC title game going for a three-peat, and we had the lead, and I got hurt. Well, yeah. And then Joe all of a sudden, wanted, I don't have the job anymore? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Joe wanted Young to be a good teammate when Young was a backup. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean let's face it, DJ. It's a situation you're going to face in a few years. Oh, don't kid yourself. Maybe <laughs> earlier than that. <laughs> Wow, push it up the time. Yeah, a few months, few weeks. You don't know. You don't know. Uh, Tampa Bay boat parade. Not going to have the traditional parade. They're going to have a boat parade to celebrate their Super Bowl. That is what they did with the Lightning to celebrate the Stanley Cup. On the theory that people would be spread out around the the banks on the waterfront, and they're going to require them to be masked up. Don't know how they'll enforce that. Whatever. Certainly, the team can be spread out apart from the people. And uh, they can't do it on land. Uh, they're they're not doing it on land. I don't know if they I did, can't. I, know they, I don't know, know if they not. can't. I haven't heard. Well, just Canada tell can't. them Biden got reelected to another four years, and then everything will be fine. Yeah. So they'll do the boat parade. I mean, it's not like we got this long history of Tampa teams winning. I I don't know what they did back in oh oh two oh three whatever it was when they won. Um. So, you know, maybe they, I guess they could. I don't know what kind of grief there'd be to pay, but they got the boat option. So what would happen if the Jazz won it here? Could we have, like, the Salt Lake and people would be spread out all the way around it? I mean, I don't know what the circumference of the Salt Lake is, but everybody's standing really in the mud. you want to go stand on the No, I don't, but Salt lots Lake? of, you know, people who've lived well, and died. Well, I mean, no, we, we couldn't have it in Salt Lake, the Salt Lake City proper. We'd have to have it in one of the suburbs. Should we just have it along the Jordan River? No, uh, no. No, I don't think we want to have it along the Jordan River. No, just move many, it down to Sandy or some other tires. place. Obviously, it's not going to be down there. Well, it could be in Salt Lake. I mean, you no, were... Come on, God. it was BYU band fans, and you thought that was stupid, but the Jazz are playing in front of 3,900 fans. So, I don't know, dump on Provo, don't dump on Salt Lake. Salt Lake's letting people congregate. And BYU are the ones you labeled stupid the other day. Not BYU, Provo, because BYU, yeah, I think, I think people about? at BYU wanted it, but the Provo Health Department was a, no, was a no-go, a no-fly zone. Well, then meet in the middle. Have it at the prison. <laughs> there it is. I was going to say, point of the mountain. Here we go. Hey, once they empty the prison out, right, they're building the new one. I think PK's onto something. That'd be sweet. That's the problem. We're building more prisons. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay, PK. <laughs> Down, boy. <laughs> Let me tell you, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson sounded off on the amount of hits he's taken, his desires to be more involved with the personnel decisions for the franchise. With regards to the hits he's taken, he said, like any player, you never want to get hit. That's the reality of playing this position. Ask any quarterback who wants to play this game. But at the same time, it's part of the job and everything else. I think the reality is I've definitely been hit. I've been sacked almost 400 times. So we got to get better. i gotta, I got to find ways to get better, too. So this goes against, we just heard Jerry Rice say, you know, there's more physical, more hitting back there. And we had Steve Young on the air saying the same thing. And meanwhile, Russell Wilson's over here. Hey, I've been sacked 400 times. You kidding me? Let's extend my career. <laughs> Let's not have me getting knocked out. Sure. Yeah. On his desire to be more involved with personnel decisions, Wilson says, I want to be able to be involved because at the end of the day, it's your legacy. It's your team's legacy. It's the guys you get to go into the huddle with. At the end of the day... Those guys you've got to trust. Asked if he's been involved in personnel decisions. Wilson replied, not as much. 
asked if he wants to be. He said, I think it helps to be involved more, but I think that dialogue should happen more often, in my opinion. Well, PK, we've already seen great players aren't necessarily great with personnel decisions because you just go to the NBA where, okay, you got Michael Jordan, he's MJ. But the Charlotte Hornets, it's a struggle to get to 500 and get to the postseason, and they're done quick when they get there. So great talent and great personnel decisions do not go hand in hand. It's not an automatic here. Not even close, no. I think that uh, the thing about those guys who are doing those decisions is that is an extensive high-involved job. So, Russell Wilson, you just can't float in and, hey, what do you think about this move? No. If you want involvement, you need to show up at the office every day and do all the things that they're doing. You just can't do it on your terms. you got to do it on the job that's required. So, I would love to see that. I would love to see the next jock say, yeah, I want that. Okay, show up. Let's watch film. Let's go scout. Let go. Come to the combine with us. And let's do all the things that are required of front office folks. My guess is, yeah, I probably don't really want to do that much. Easy now. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of this comes down to Tom Brady going to Tampa and saying, hey, we got to get Gronk and we can get Antonio Brown. And it works for him. These guys are scoring Super Bowl touchdowns. Brown had one and Gronk had two. And other quarterbacks see that and think, yeah, but, you know, do you have the relationships with vets? Can you just... Drop in when you really have firsthand knowledge. You know, Brady's in a unique situation and Gronk's retired, but Brady's got the relationship to talk him into playing. And so that seems more like a one or two off. I suppose what you're talking about where, hey, to draft seven guys, I mean, I haven't I haven't heard an NFL GM talk about this, but I assume you gotta look at least at a hundred players, right? As you whittle this down, because you don't know who's gonna be available on the board. How many guys do you have to have slotted for every round? And I just think now now as I think about it, a hundred's too low they got to be looking at way more than that. The math on that is all wrong. You know, you want to know if you're going to trade up to get a guy and then assessing free agents open across the league. In a handful of situations where you got first-hand knowledge, okay, you know. But, man, across the board, that's, that's too many decisions to be made. I think if we've seen anything, coaches shouldn't be that involved with NFL personnel decisions. When the coach tries to be the coach and the GM, there's usually a drop-off. There's not enough time to do all that stuff. Kansas City Chiefs place outside linebackers coach Britt Reed on administrative leave following last week's uh, three-car accident that left a five-year-old girl in critical condition. Uh, Andy Reed did say that Britt Reed underwent surgery himself after the accident, but wasn't more specific about that. So I assume we will hear more about that going forward. And Yahoo Sports National NFL writer Therese Paler died unexpectedly at the age of 37. He had worked for the Kansas City Star for more than a decade before joining Yahoo to cover the NFL at large. We just did this story with a baseball reporter who died too young. Pedro Gomez, who was 58, and that was way too young. Now a 37-year-old. All right, What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801 295 1690, that's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, will join us at 8.30 as the Jazz keep rolling. Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator, is here at 9 o'clock. 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. More on the Jazz coming up next. Stay with us. Number one. Because you're number one for 
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes your Toes brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury has not. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Signer Cadillac. Well, the question of the day, obviously based on the Jazz winning again, where else can you go but there? Uh, another game, another Jazz win, 20 wins, 5 losses. That start ties the best mark in franchise history. What more can you say? And people lined up on Facebook to say it, DJ and PK. It's out on Twitter now, too, David DJ James. Grab your phone, use our app. Use the open mic feature there. Send us your audio and y'all can play it. We're ready for your hot takes. What can you say about the Jazz? 20 and 5. PK, you're rarely at a loss of words, but you've been talking about the Jazz every day for two months now, and they keep winning. Anything you'd like to revise, amend, or have you said it all? Well, there's no, no, I haven't said it all yet because there's still a lot to go. You know, 25 games into a 72 game season. You're still scratching the surface. It seems like they've been playing for a good long while. I think maybe because we're used to, wait a second, we're approaching the All-Star break this weekend. And so our our, like our biological clock, so to speak, <laughs> would indicate that uh, as we approach the middle of February that we're past the halfway season, halfway point of the season, which usually comes uh, like the third week in January. So sometimes I have to think about it and say, well, wait a second here. They still have uh, well more than half to go. So even though this time of year would normally dictate that they don't, and we start – because to me, once you got into March, it was the stretch run. And uh, maybe I'll feel differently when we get to March. So there's still plenty of games to be played, but there's no question that this team – is prolific offensively, and the strategy that they set up with Gobert in the middle, because it's so fun to watch him, and you really have to watch literally every single game to see, because there's so much that he does defensively that don't have a specific stat related to it. But you could see that, I mean, I can recite 20 examples of guys, and Jim Jackson brought it up, about, uh, well, the reason why he did that, he looked jittery or whatnot, was because of Gobert. You know, and that doesn't really show up. It shows up in the win, so it does show up. And the the management and the coaching staff, they recognize it, which is why they've given him the massive contract. But I think to appreciate his value, you literally can't appreciate it to the highest degree unless you're watching like our listeners do, like the three of us do, which is literally every game. And so that continues to amaze because you can see it's like you can think along. Jalen Brown had one at the end of the game. Nope, not doing it. (laughs) And you can put yourself in the mindset of what Brown is thinking when he sees number 27, this octopus there with all these arms and legs, it seems like, that just go on forever. So that, that continues to be fun. And they've got an onslaught of offensive weapons, and you just never know who's going to just 
bust you at a time when they need to be busted. Joe Ingles hit that huge three as the Celtics came back and gave them some more, you know, a, a four-point lead to a seven-point lead. It's a big difference, obviously, when you have uh, the time dwindling away. He hit it in front of the Jazz bench. Uh, the one thing that is apparent to me is so far that they've done an excellent, excellent job of beating the teams they're supposed to be. You look at this Boston team. They don't have Marcus Smart. Fine, I understand that. Jazz don't have Conley, so that's a little bit of a wash. I don't, I don't watch enough Celtics basketball to know how much of a wash it is. But as I look at this Celtics team, and they don't have enough talent. They just, they just don't have enough talent to compete at the level that Ainge and his guys want them to compete at. So they hung around. They did a good job, got off to a nice lead, got some flow early, and then came back, and good for them. They made a run. But in the end, they just didn't have enough talent. And the great teams, historically, that's how you pile up these records, by beating those teams. And the Jazz in this run, have done a phenomenal job of beating the teams that they're supposed to win. They had like a 68-win percent probability going in the game, and they won the game. That's what they're supposed to do. So it's interesting. The Celtics don't have enough talent, and I think that's absolutely true. You know, what kind of contributions are you getting from guys four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? In the playoffs, that number doesn't matter as much. So I guess one thing to look for the Jazz is, how much are they beating teams because of their depth? And will that depth matter when the playoff rot- when rotations shorten up in the playoffs? So that's something for us to, uh, you know, to debate deeper into the season. Uh, you know, and as far as Gobert and watching, and I, I don't know who it was, to, who deserves the credit, but late in the game the Jazz get a steal and take off on a break. It, it, it might be the position, possession then with Joe hitting a three on the assist from Mitchell. Maybe it was another play. But whoever got the steal got the steal because Gobert intimidated the guy driving into the paint. It was like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm shoveling the ball to this guy over here. And because he wasn't ready to pass, he hadn't you know, assessed the defense and all that. I think it was Royce. might have been somebody else. But I think it was Royce poked the ball away. Well, that pass would never would have been made if Gobert wasn't there. Whoever was would have gone to the rim, you know. So the stat literally ends up, and then you know the other players still got to make the play. But the whole thing started to change when somebody saw Gobert. And there's no stat in the traditional box score for and somebody saw Gobert, you know. But there are so many of those moments scattered through a game. Yeah, and you have to watch it yeah. consistently to appreciate it, which we do. So we know. Are full well, uh, oh, yeah. full well his value because we're watching virtually every game, every second of every game, uh, pretty much, and so we can see that. I think as far as the depth, I think they stay with the rotation when they get there because I don't think their rotation is outrageously deep. No, I think the Jazz stay with their rotation, but other teams might be able to shorten their rotation and be a little better. Uh, you're right. I think yeah. I think the Jazz stay with their rotation largely. Um, you know, you might see a few things where, you know, Mitchell and Gobert play bigger minutes. Uh, but largely, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think the Jazz rotation is going to be that far off in the postseason. But other teams that are playing nine guys right now to get through the regular season might be able to play seven and eight and cut a couple guys' minutes and give a little more time to their stars. If I'm a Jazz fan, I have to pinch myself because you wait, you wait, you wait, and you hope, you hope, you hope, and that's the uh – the reality of a fan i understand that completely and here you are at 20 and 5 you're getting all this just tons of national love now it's everybody's on board if you follow the nba to any degree 
every single person who does that is on board. Uh, they have to acknowledge that, wow, this is a really good team. They've got a lot of good weapons. This Mitchell kid, and I think Mitchell already had established a name. Well, now he's taking it up a little bit. I mean, he's just sensational. There's no doubt about that. But you have to pinch yourself thinking, can this, can this really be it? Or are you just sitting back, yeah, LeBron, I wish he would have stayed the East uh, because he is <laughs> he, here. But, but, the, but the goal is the, is the NBA title. So you know, if he were in the East, you'd still have Even to see him in the Even if he's in the East, you'd still have to pay him. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. That's, I totally agree with that. He, he's not and missing the NBA Finals in the East. worry about that. <laughs> he, he had the East wired. He's one for two in the West, and so he you was don't, hurt one year. So. Yeah, and usually throughout the course of NBA history, there is a big-time star who is the man, and at least since I've been really paying attention to the NBA, which you know is hardcore uh, around 1980 when Magic and Bird came into the league. They captured my attention, and then I had a few years later, I'm moving to Los Angeles, and I'm covering finals, so I'm right in the thick of things. And since then, I think I've been a hardcore fan for sure, and there's always somebody out there. But so what? And there's always it's, it's it's not LeBron, it's fill in the blank. Yeah, it's whomever, and you're going to have to get past them. But at the same time, they're going to have to get past you. And it's well, not like uh, at twenty and five, you can't fluke your way to twenty and five in this league. You just there's just no way you can do that. And you look and you tie the franchise best star. Well, you go back to the statues, and we all know that they were everything that uh, this franchise was about. And they were all they were they were as good as can be for them, as as in terms of this franchise anyway. Uh, so you're right there with that team, which means that to me, you are right there in the league. I don't know how it's going to play out, but you can bet it's going to be fun to watch. And there might it might end up in disappointment, but maybe it doesn't. That's the whole point. Maybe it doesn't. Because if you're 20-5, and five, I would venture to say, going back through however long they've been playing 82 games, if you're 20-5, and there's probably not too many teams that weren't a contender at 20-5. and five. At 20-5, you're a contender. It's just to what degree. And you already said whatever, <laughs> what lots of Jazz fans are thinking. Yeah, but LeBron's lurking out there. You know, we, we all know LeBron doesn't need the best record to win the title. They didn't have the best regular season record last year, and they won the title. You know, the, the team with the best regular season record hasn't won the title the last three years. So it guarantees nothing. But they it don't absolutely, need it because you're the best team. Right. It absolutely puts you in the conversation. But to go back to what you said earlier in the segment, if there's a party you're looking over your shoulder going, yeah, but there's LeBron. Well, you know, that's probably a pretty smart thing to say. There is LeBron. But... We don't even know when the finals are going to be, let alone who's going to be healthy and who's going to be playing well. They're going to be so in the summer. Too much obsessing. Right. But it was like last, during the post game last night, last, uh, Donovan's like, you know, the goal is to be playing well in June. And then just on the fly, he's like, oh, wait, our calendar is different this year. And then he's like, or, you know, March or April, May, June or July. I mean, he just literally threw out every month that's in front of him like, I don't know when the finals are going to end up, but whatever, you get the point. You know, so he's just throwing every month out there. And so, you know, you can worry about that matchup, but you're not getting to that matchup until June or July. So we can keep assessing it and we will reevaluate it when they play the regular season games. 
And we always do that. You know, Team A, wow, they look like they really match up well with Team B. Okay, it's one thing to match up in the regular season. It's another thing to match up in the playoffs. So, yes, we'll reassess it, but we'll just be kicking the can down the road because we'll reassess it again in June based on how teams are playing yeah. and who's healthy. And, you know, we still not only have the trade deadline still to go, we got that buyout phase, which always seems like a backdoor way, but whatever, it is the way. You know, and so if teams have one short thing, does a veteran get back, uh, get let out, and this one problem a team has, can they fix it by adding a guy? I think the answer is usually no, but you can't say the answer is always no. Sometimes you pick somebody up who matters. That's why if I'm jazz management, I don't think, well, we'll worry about that then now. I don't know. I'm concerned about it right now because you look at it. When the Jazz were going to the finals, the idea was to beat the Bulls, and they made moves designed to beat the Bulls and the legendary Lakers-Celtics. You make moves designed to beat that other team. There's nothing wrong with that. So if they have an opportunity, I don't know that they would, but if they had an opportunity to do something that would help them against either the Clippers or Lakers and you can make it in March, go ahead and make it. So I think they should be looking forward to the potential playoff matches and see what they can do. And the more time you study that, and maybe you can overstudy it and you can – as Bronco would talk about, Chase Ghosts, you can get crazy on that. But I've got no problem with them looking ahead. Management? I mean, I don't want the players. you got to be focused on one game after another and all that stuff. But if they decide that they can make a move that can help them potentially in the postseason, even if it's just for a few possessions, go ahead and do it. Nothing wrong with that. Look, look ahead. This team is that good. It's time to acknowledge that this team is that good. And why not do those things? I don't know that there anything to, there's anything to do, but I think you're at that level where you can do that. And the Lakers are going to do it too. They're, they're thinking they, they're going to get to the Western Conference Finals, and who are we going to match up against? Well, right now it looks strongly like it's either going to be the Clippers or the Jazz. And so they have opportunities and scout those teams and say, we need this against that team, we need that against this team. Absolutely go ahead and do it. Because if I'm the Lakers and the Clippers, I know I probably have to come through Salt Lake. That that you can't take this weak mindset of oh no, there's LeBron. <laughs> We're worried about him. LeBron damn well better be worried about you too. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers do the same thing. How do you shape up a roster? What is the one hole you've got? How do That's you That's what I'm saying? How do you assess? And so to sit here and predict what's going to happen in the playoffs kind of a, a futile chase right now. Identify the contenders, wait for the big dogs to play each other, and obviously you are counting down the days later this month. The Jazz are going to play the Clippers twice and Lakers once, and we're all going to be focused on that. But until that, until then, they play the big dogs in the East. So we can focus on that. I think that the, uh, you know, the thing Steve Cleveland told us about the Lakers is how much more he likes them with AD at the five. And one thing we've seen from big guys, if they can play the four – I think they probably want to, you know, less physical beatdown and all that. I mean, that's what we heard during Duncan's career, and they would routinely be, play big guys. But when you get to a playoff series, that's different. Hey, if the only way to win is to get that matchup and put me at the five, well, then put me at the five. But they don't want the wear and tear all year long of doing that. And so that's one of the many things that leads to different results in the regular season from the playoffs. Put it on a list. You can probably come up with several other things that are different from the regular season of the playoffs. You know, certainly the preparation is different. 
You know, the the schedule is finally the same, where it's been different in the regular season. You know, one team's on a back-to-back or a long road trip. I have seen stuff on social media. You know, well, of course they beat the Celtics. You know, the Celtics were on the fifth game of a Western road trip and were worn out. Of course they got them. You know, and all that stuff goes out the window in the playoffs. Well, you're going to do that, but everything adds up to one. Mm-hmm. One win per game, and so fine. The Celtics were this, the Celtics were that. Well, the reality is they're not going to face the Celtics in the postseason anyway, so who gives a so. crap? Yeah. The fact is that this this team is so good that it doesn't have to worry about anything else but themselves. If they play their game and do what they're capable of doing, they're beating anyone and everyone, and that includes the vaunted Lakers. There it is. And I don't care if it's one game, it's five games, all that stuff. That doesn't matter to me. I mean, that's did you win or did you lose? This is pro sports. And at twenty and five, that mindset. Not, yeah, at twenty and five, you, you probably have that mindset. You allow no excuses. Yeah, and you're not backdooring it. Yeah, and you aren't buying the excuses. Hey, it's a third game of a road trip. It's a third game in three days, and we're going to be exhausted. Hmm, yeah, but find another way to win. So we like to do that. The last few years, once you do that, what you're saying is we're not good enough. That's what you're saying. We're not good enough. That's the message you're sending. We're not good enough. And I refuse to accept that message. I've always refused to accept that message, and I always will refuse to accept that message. You're going to lose. That's the reality of it. Even the greatest. Jordan won six, and he was in the league for more than six years. So you're going to have plenty of setbacks. But once you allow any type of concession you have to go. And I like, I'm listening to Shaq last night, and they're giving him crap. Mm-hmm. And he's there, well, no, I mean, you know, I lose the way I motivate, you know, that's to get my guys going. And, you know, and I'm thinking, Shaq, you remind me of myself because <laughs> I do this all the time, not all the time, but there's, there's maybe like once or twice in my life I've, lo- I've lost an argument. And it was clear that I lost an argument, but I kept talking and tried to find a way to win the argument. I never conceded, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, that I was wrong. And you know that. There's two people who know that in my life, my wife and you. (laughs) And so I will not concede. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. And that's what Shaq was doing. He just keep keep trying to go. All right, you made a dumb comment there when you said that, uh, Mitchell, a few weeks ago. But he's not conceding. In a sense, I like that. Don't ever concede, man. Don't. And don't say, well, whatever, because you're going to have a four game and five nights and blah, 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 like they did uh, sa- Sunday. You know, I was listening to Locke. It's their third game in three and a half days. Like the half was the difference. You know, three and a half days because it was a uh, it was a morning start. Super Bowl uh, what, Sunday morning. Morning start, start Salt Lake. Yeah. Well, what the hell? It was even more morning <laughs> Hawaii time. I mean, don't do that. And they didn't do that. They, so, whatever. I know you asked Bogdanovich in the post game, and he said, well, it was at 11 o'clock. They, come on, they'd been back east for a few days. They'd been on eastern time zone for a, a, a while, so their body clock should have been adjusted at that point. It doesn't take five days. So, But the mindset was, we're just going to gut this thing out and grind, and that's what they did. And that's the mark of, I can't say of a team that's going to win. I can't say it's the mark of a champion because they haven't won it but it's the mark of a potential champion. I will say that. DJ PK, all right, we got a lot of your reactions piling in. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. By the way, 
on Twitter, the uh, Rudy Gobert octopus PK that you mentioned, uh, I just retweeted it. Someone literally had made that graphic uh, last night. Exactly what you were talking about. So I just retweeted it. Check that out at David DJ James. And hit us up with your reply. 20 and 5. Best start in club history. What more can you say? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke, the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. If we have the best record in the NBA and we have one player who is statistically more impactful than any other player on our roster, why isn't he talked about as an MVP? We go to the MVP ladder. Number one is LeBron. Fair. Number two is Joel Embiid. Number three is Nikola Jokic. Number four is Kevin Durant. I guess. He's been great. Number five is Kawhi Leonard. Okay, but this is where the bullcrap starts. Six is Giannis. Seven is Paul George. Eight is Luca. Nine is Steph. Ten is Dame. Eleven is Jason Tatum. Other five more: Bradley Beal, Donovan Mitchell, Demata Sabonis, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown. Watch the beeping game. We're gonna have the best record in the NBA. We're just not gonna mention Rudy. He's just not gonna make the list. Like seriously. Hanson Scotting weekdays from ten to two on 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJPK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Question of the day. Another game, another Jazz win. 25 start, 25 start ties the best record in franchise history for the first 25 games. What more can you say? And Ryan says... This is some of the best jazz basketball I've ever watched. Next handful of games will be a good test for the jazz. Hard to uh, debate okay, that. I generally agree with that. Yeah, I was going to say hard to debate that. I'd like to see you go at him. You're good at that. You rarely give I, in. I don't want to go crazy uh, on these next uh, games through uh, the rest of February. And obviously the schedule on paper, team-wise, does get tougher. I understand that. But uh, – I, I want to try to keep perspective, knowing that if they win them all, it's going to be hard. Or if they lose them all, then we're going to be thought of as frauds. You know, They're still in the BYU football phase of how good are you really. I understand that. A lot of people want to think that. Now, I'm watching them night in, night out, as we all are. And to me, I look at this team, and it, it's, it's legit. Because you look at last night's game, and maybe if it was a better team, it might have been a problem. But I don't know that whoever you're playing, if I use last night as the example, what I mean by that is, okay, they didn't come out firing all, they weren't making a bunch of shots early, right? And it looked like, ooh, the first quarter might get away from them. But yet when the first quarter ended, they were right in there, right? And so, well, if they played a better team, okay, if they played a better team, but on this particular night, I'm not sure that anybody else, and it could happen for sure, but I don't know it, that any team in the league was going to have a player who was as hot as Jalen Brown was early. You know what I mean by that? So he was, he just came out. He hadn't been playing. He was injured for a few games. So he comes out. So he's not playing four games in three and a half minutes or whatever the latest excuse is for these teams playing. So he wouldn't have been gassed. And so he was just lighting it up. So I'm, they withstood that. So I'm wondering, no matter who they played, Phil and the team, uh, whoever the team is, uh, would that team, Damon Lillard, say, and he, because we know he could score and score quickly. Would he been? Would he have been able to be as good in that first quarter 
as Jalen Brown was. So even though the Celtics aren't a great team by any stretch, they had a, a good player have a great stretch. And the Jazz withstood it, even though they weren't hitting a bunch of shots. So they were able to stay steady the course until they got going offensively. And it, and it, and it was Joe was pretty well consistent throughout the whole game. But then you had Bogdanovich got hot for a little bit, and then Mitchell taking over at the end and doing what he does. Man, he's become a big-time closer, it seems like. And Jimmy Jackson, who's buddies with Mike Conley because they both went to Ohio State, he had an opportunity to talk to him, and he said that Conley, and I don't know what that getup was that Conley was wearing, but it was very interesting. But nevertheless, he was saying he talked to Conley, and he was saying, what's the next step for the Jazz? And he said, closing games against some good teams, you know, and Conley's been around the block a lot, so he knows he has authority in what he speaks. Well, Mitchell's becoming that guy, man. He is hitting all sorts of big shots, and tough big shots, too. And the thing about it, he has no hesitation. He's completely and totally confident and fierce. I I can't tell you how important that is to be able to believe in yourself to that high of a level. So when I look at this game, they passed that test, even though it wasn't a great team. But for a while, they had a good player play as well as pretty much anybody can play in that quarter. I think that's all true, and I think you just put this on the list of what's different between the regular season and the playoffs. Because by the time you get to the last two rounds, you're probably playing a really good team. And right now, the way they're playing, the Celtics don't look like they're headed for the final two rounds. Now, maybe they'll play better later on, and maybe they'll make some move or whatever. But right now, they don't look like that level of team. But you can't hold that up against the Jazz any more than you can look at the Lakers and say, well, you didn't play that great against Oklahoma City. You didn't play that great against Detroit. They played well enough to beat the team they're playing that night. you got to pace yourself a little bit. Who's to say if the Lakers hadn't been playing the Clippers or the Jazz that night that they wouldn't have brought more effort and played better and won the game? Who's to say if the Jazz hadn't been playing the Lakers or the Clippers last night they would have brought it earlier and it would have gone differently. The the first half played out, I mean, you're, you're, you're totally on to this. You know, they, they could have messed that game up out of the gate, but it was still like a three-point game after the quarter. They, they got way down there, but they got right back into it with a couple of shots. At halftime, they were up by one, and they were shooting 30% from three. And the Celtics were shooting 50. Well, the Jazz were going to do better, and the Celtics weren't going to keep shooting 50%. And sure enough, both those things happened, and the Jazz ended up winning by 14. So even when things aren't going well, even when they do uh, what they do best isn't really going that well, they're still leading the game. 30%, that's not how they've made their mark at the three-point line and in the NBA is shooting 30%. If that's, re- if that's what they did, they wouldn't be 20-5, and five, and they wouldn't have the best record in the NBA. But over the course of a game, that's what they can do it, and that's why Quinn tells them to keep shooting it. And they did, and a bunch more of them went in, and they got that percentage up. I think they ended up shooting 37.5%, so they must have shot 40-something, maybe 45% in the second half. You know, it was good enough for the team they were playing, and that's really all you're held up for. That's all the Lakers are held up for when they're beating the Thunder and the Pistons. Beat the team in front of you, and they were good enough. Yeah, but I don't think that it's just the one-dimensional offensive team that just uh, – that's where I would disagree with what Kenny Smith said a few weeks back because I think Mitchell has the ability to get into that mid-range, into about the 15-footer, and make that shot mm-hmm. pretty much as well as anybody. You know, Chris Paul was someone who's been able to do that, and he's made a tremendous living off of that for many, many years. Well, as I look at Mitchell, he's every bit as good or better than Chris Paul in that game. 
And so they have different ways to score, and they're always looking for Rudy at the rim. So it's not like they're exclusively relegated to that, and they got a bunch of spot-up shooters, and they that's all they can do. So they can, and, I, and that's what I thought they were doing. Okay, and they did that the other day in Indiana. The threes weren't hitting, and well, you know maybe they had some gas, lacked a little gas in the legs and energy and all that stuff. But they still found ways, and and Clarkson found ways to get to the basket. I mean, he he can dribble you to death. I mean, you think you got him, and then he's still going, and you're like, man, your eyes are spinning in the back of your head because you're not sure where he is and how he gets off his shots. He really just does about every move that a player of his position needs to have. So they do have other ways. But at the same time, I mean, that's the kryptonite. If they had five, six guys off, they're probably going to lose. DJ PK, more of you weighing in. We will get to that next. Coming up, 8.30, Tim LaCombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator at 9. Stay with us.